This is episode 321, featuring a behind-the-scenes coaching call with my former athlete, Hannah, on how she can transition from marathon training to middle-distance racing. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you better understand the process of improvement, because when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. If you're new here, welcome. I'm the head coach of Strength Running, formerly a 239 marathoner, and a monthly columnist for Trail Runner Magazine. On this podcast, I share my insights on the sport and speak with the world's smartest subject matter experts to help you improve. I'm happy to connect anytime, so feel free to email me, or you can send me a message on Instagram or YouTube. Now I'd like to thank our partners who support the show. They're offering you some great discounts, which I hope you'll take advantage of. Prevenex is a supplement company that's voluntarily putting themselves under more scrutiny and holding themselves to higher standards than anybody else in the industry. Their products undergo increased testing, quality control, and they make donations to kids in need. You're going to love their Joint Health Plus product because it actually works. It reduces joint pain and improves how you feel with clinical double-blinded studies to prove it. And while the science backs up their products, just listen to Brenda, who recently wrote, I have tried many things to help my joint pain in my knees. Glucosamine, collagen, turmeric, tart cherry, nothing was working. One month in of Prevenex combined with physical therapy, and I was able to run for the first time in two years. And my knee was not all swollen and painful afterwards. Goodbye, orthopedic surgeon. Hello, Prevenex. Nice work, Brenda. Why don't you try it now at Prevenex.com and use code Jason15 for 15% off your purchase. We're also supported by Impossible Sleep, a performance sleep drink to help high performers get the most out of their nightly rest. Impossible Sleep is a melatonin-free sleep drink mix that provides deep recovery while gently lulling you to sleep. And that's a big reason why I like it. Melatonin can sometimes make you groggy, so if possible, I prefer to skip it. There are only two ingredients in Impossible Sleep, making it simple but effective for anybody who struggles to optimize their best recovery tool, sleep. Learn more about it at impossible.co slash Jason, and be sure to use code Jason20 to save 20% on your first subscription order, plus you'll get a free sleep kit as a welcome gift. That's impossible.co slash Jason with code Jason20. Finally, get yourself primed for your run with an all-natural pre-workout called Two Before, made from New Zealand black currant berries. Blackcurrant berries have been scientifically proven to increase cardiovascular endurance, speed up muscle recovery, reduce inflammation, and support immunity. They actually offer a lot more benefits than beetroot, which has been used for some time now to improve running performance. But blackcurrants are actually more effective and help with improved blood flow and inflammation management. They're also full of immune-boosting antioxidants. Go to 2, the number, before.com and use code Jason at checkout to save 30% and get free shipping. That's the numeral two before.com with code Jason at checkout. All right. My guest today is a former one-on-one coaching client of mine named Hannah. 
We met a little over a year ago at a running retreat here in Colorado, and we started working together last fall, leading to a PR for her at the 2023 Boston Marathon. Hannah's been focusing almost exclusively on half marathons and marathons, but recently started thinking about going after a four-year-old 5K PR. Her big question today is, how do I transition from endurance training to middle distance training? We'll explore her background as a runner, hear her PRs, and learn how to bridge the gap between two very different types of training. Hannah is also a member of our Team Strength Running coaching group, where she gets ongoing coaching guidance, a community of peers to help push her forward, support from the team, and a wide variety of training plans to follow. You can join as well at strengthrunning.com join. I'm proud to offer one of the, the most affordable group coaching programs out there, and it'd be a thrill to work with you too. And now, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation about 5K training with my former client, Hannah. Okay, Hannah, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to chat with you. Thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to it. All right. So we are going to hopefully give you a pretty good idea of how you can transition from training for a lot of more endurance-oriented races like half marathons and marathons, and now you have this goal of running a new 5K PR. When was the last time you ran a 5K PR? Do you remember what year it's from? Yeah, it's almost exactly four years ago. It was on Thanksgiving Day of 2019. I like hopped, we were on vacation and I just hopped in on a local 5k race and ran a PR. I had been training for kind of 5k specific races that fall um, and had missed, my my main goal was to get under 20 minutes. I hadn't done that yet. Um, Had missed it by just a hair. I had run like a really rainy race and it just, things didn't line up for me. But then I hopped in on this Thanksgiving day one and and got it just barely. I ran 1947. Nice. That is always so exciting when you run a PR when maybe you weren't expecting to run a PR. That's maybe the best kind of PR. Exactly. Let's talk a little bit about you as a runner. You know, uh, how long have you been running? How old are you? And and let's start with that. Yeah. So I'm 34. Um, I live here in Colorado Springs with my husband and three kids. I started running about six and a half years ago. I mean, as a kid, I did some running, just playing soccer and different things like that, but nothing regular, never did track or cross country or anything like that in school. Um, But then just shortly after having my second child, we were living in Mississippi at the time and there was a local 10K that was a really popular race to run. And so I thought this would be a good goal for me. I'll train for this 10K, ran that in, so that was in 2017 and have more or less run regularly since then. Um, I kind of just became friends with people in the running community there in Mississippi where I was living, um, ended up certifying as a running coach a couple years later, et cetera, ran my first marathon at the end of 2018. Um, and so have kind of been doing like the distances between five K's and marathons, since then, with a heavier emphasis on the half marathons and marathons, I would say. I haven't done a lot of training blocks specific to the 5K or the 10K. Yeah. And, you know, we should be upfront. I work, we worked together for, I want to say, six to nine months, somewhere in that time frame. I kind of forget exactly. Uh, and we met at the 2022 Endeavor Run Boulder Retreat. Uh, so this was like the fall of 2022 
up through this past spring. Is, do I have the timing on that all right? That's exactly right. Right. I had just qualified for Boston earlier that summer, did the Endeavor Run Boulder camp where I met you. And then we started working together right after that as I trained up for Boston. So I think it was about eight months. Got it. Okay. So that was obviously a marathon-oriented training block. Uh, I think we may have focused on a half marathon in uh, the fall as you were sort of getting your fall season wrapped up. So you've certainly been focusing on these longer races. Uh, when you do train for these longer races, you know, in the last couple of years, what has your training looked like? Give us kind of a, a 30,000 foot view of your mileage levels, what kind of cross training you might do, what kind of workouts you might run and things like that. That will just give us an idea of how much you're training and what that training looks like. Yeah. I would say the last couple of years, really, since I had, um, my third child, and have been doing a lot of um, half marathons and then the two marathons that I've done in that time. I've typically been running between, well, before starting to work with you, it was between 40 and 50 miles a week. Um, in most of my training cycles, I did push that up a little bit further in preparing for Boston when you were coaching with, when you were coaching me, probably peaked at closer to 60 miles in that buildup. Um I've been doing a couple of strength workouts a week, um, you know, more full body strength workouts with some shorter strength routines on some of the other days as well. Um, typically in my running, I've been doing a long run on the weekends. Um, that's usually somewhere between currently somewhere between like 12 and 15 miles. Of course, if I'm marathon training, then it, it goes longer than that. Um, and then I've been doing one to two speed workouts in the week separate from that. So this is good training. I mean, you are running relatively high volume. Uh, nobody should be surprised that I got you to run a little bit more than what you had been running. That's very on brand for Jason Fitzgerald here. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it worked. Yeah, you, you did run a PR at the Boston Marathon, didn't you? That's right. Yeah, I was really happy with it. It was a narrow PR. It was like a 22 second PR. I ran 314 and change there, but it was a much harder course than the course that I had previously PR'd on, on my um, qualifying course. So I really viewed it as a, you know, a much better performance than what I had done in the past. And I would agree with you hundred percent. Boston is a notoriously difficult course. Anybody who runs a PR at Boston should probably expect an additional two to five minutes on a fast course like Chicago or CIM. It, it's just not, you know, Boston is just not a course to run really fast, not just because it's hilly, but really because of where the hills come in the race. They are uniquely situated almost from a physiological perspective to make the marathon difficult for you. So huge respect to anybody who runs a personal best at Boston. That is not easy to do. Um, so job well done, Hannah. Thank you. Um, so yeah, you, uh, and let me also just say that I love the fact that you're running a 12 to 15 mile long run and you're not training for a marathon. And, you know, this, this just goes to show that, you know, even if you're thinking about running a fast 5k, getting in a solid long run on the weekend is, is, is likely one of the best things you can do in your training life, because it's just always going to be pushing up your aerobic fitness and, and really developing that aerobic metabolism. The cool thing is that theoretically that can be continuously developed 
in perpetuity. Whereas if you, you talk about something like your running mechanics, your, your economy, or your VO2 max, there's a ceiling on those things. There's theoretically not really a ceiling on your endurance or your aerobic fitness. So I just, I'm just going off a tangent here to say, I love the consistent long run. I think it's one of the most important things that we can do as distance runners, even if we're focusing on a more middle distance race, like a 5k. So, uh, Let's talk a little bit more about your PRs. So you've run uh, 1947 for 5K. You've run 314 at this the 2023 Boston Marathon. Uh, what's your half marathon and you know maybe one more PR if you, if you have it? Yeah, my half marathon PR, I, I struggle to claim it. Um, the fastest time I've raced in a, P, in a half marathon was 125. That was on a super downhill course. It tore my legs apart how downhill it was. Um, and I feel like gravity did, you know, half the work there. Um, that was also in 2019. It was also that same year that I ran that 5K PR. Um, the more recent half marathon that was on a more fair course um, that I feel a little more comfortable, like really represents kind of my fitness was a 128 at a half marathon I did last year. Um, it was actually that half marathon before Boston or, or one of them. Um, but several months before Boston, it was in December, I think of last year in Arizona. Okay. So th- this was sort of the final race of your fall season before we took a little break and then ramped up your Boston training for, uh, that April. Okay. That's right. And, and yeah, I would kind of agree, you know, a, a substantially downhill race is not exactly you know, perfectly indicative of what you can do in a race because, you know, it's almost like the opposite of running in 90 degrees when it's super humid out and your time is slow. Well, that's also not indicative of what you can really do because you're dealing with some of those environmental conditions. But, you know, the 128, on the other hand, a couple minutes slower, which we should expect, but nevertheless, pretty competitive. So, Let's talk a little bit about your current goals. You're obviously coming from uh, a, a fairly competitive background. You've qualified for Boston. You've run under 90 minutes in the half marathon, under 20 minutes in the 5K, both big benchmarks for runners. Uh, so I think very impressive. What do you want to do now? Yeah, I, I think in the semi-long term, I mean, I really kind of consider myself a marathoner and would like to run more marathons and get faster. I'm kind of eyeing Chicago for next year and would like to run a PR, you know, a significant PR at the marathon there. And my thought going into that, you know, I'm not a huge fan currently in my current life situation. I'm not in a place where I want to be running lots of marathons in a year's time, say, Um, And I also feel like this season kind of in between, so I'm going to have essentially a year and a half in between the Boston marathon that I just ran. And then if I run Chicago next fall, and I just really feel like updating my 10 K and 5 K PRs would be a good way to develop as a runner and to develop a little more of that speed endurance so that I can be in a good place to PR in the marathon next year. Um, So that's kind of been the focus I did run a PR in the 10K in August of this year. So that was a good breakthrough for me because I've typically struggled with the 10K and 5K distances um, just with performance and with the mental side of things in those distances. Um, 
So now that I've done that, I had to take a little bit of a break because I had a cyst removal from my ankle. And so I had to take a little bit of time off running, but now I'm back to it, back to running like 45 miles this week and, you know, have done kind of one and a half speed workouts this week. And I'm feeling good about really, you know, ramping up the intensity side of my training to hopefully tackle a 5k PR. Tell me a little bit about some of the mental struggles you've had with these shorter distances, because I, I agree. I think there's just something so fundamentally different about racing a middle distance race compared with something like a marathon. You know, a marathon is, you know, very low intensity, but you're out there for so long and it's just this grand voyage. You know, it's a, it's a journey on race day, whereas the 5k is just, you know, you're, you're just, you're throwing yourself into the fire and, and for about 20 minutes, roughly, depending on who you are, you are experiencing extreme discomfort. And it's almost just like all of the discomfort of a marathon is compressed into 20 minutes. So I can absolutely see why it's actually more stressful to run a shorter race than a race that might take you six, seven, eight times as long to complete. But I'm curious, like what specifically you seem to struggle with when you're gearing up for one of these kinds of short races. Right, exactly. I mean, it's pretty much essentially what you just explained. The way that I've always thought about it is that, you know, if I'm out racing a marathon, even if I'm racing my best time on a marathon, I'm going to get to like, you know, 65 or 70 or even 75% of the way through the race feeling pretty comfortable feeling okay about where I'm at and kind of in control of my cardiovascular system and all of that. Whereas the percentage of the time that I feel comfortable in a 5k race is little to none, right? Like I'm lucky if I get 10% of the way and I'm feeling okay. <laughs> right. And I, so I don't know, I think it's probably a combination of having less experience running some of those mid-distance races like 5Ks and 10Ks just because I haven't spent the time focusing on them. Um, so even if there have been some 5Ks and 10Ks I've entered, but they weren't goal races to me, you know, maybe I didn't quite push myself at the same kind of race effort that I have on some of the halves and and the marathons that I've run. Um, so I think some of it is is mental, but I think some of it is physical too. I just am less experienced in running you know, just in a training, spending a training block, working on some of that speed development for those relatively shorter distances compared to the longer ones. And, and that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I, I think the solution to both problems, both the physical and mental is probably the same, which is let's just get more experience running these races and they'll stop being so scary. That That is, that is a hundred percent true. You'll stop thinking about middle distance races as this you know, very painful, uncomfortable experience that, you know, I have to be on for all 20 minutes of, you know, this race, I, I don't have any time to relax like I can, and, and maybe a half marathon or a marathon, it is a little bit more difficult to kind of wrap your head around that you almost have to engage with the race psychologically a little bit more. But with that said, once you start doing it on the regular, and the fact that these are short races, allows you to race them more frequently. You know, one of the things you said earlier that that I was silently applauding over here was you saying, I don't want to run multiple marathons a year, every year. It's just kind of like a, it's a grind. It's, it's kind of a slog. Even though I love the marathon, it's, it's difficult to always be marathon training. And 
You also mentioned your development as a runner. And I think this is a huge aspect to this conversation because, you know, I think in terms of development, I, when I think about training and runners and what they should be doing to get better, it is all through this prism of how are you developing yourself into a better runner? And so a lot of the times that means, no, we're not going to run two or three marathons a year. That's not good for your development. No, we're not going to also not run any races. That's not good for your development either. Uh, and, and keeping your mileage very low all the time or not running any workouts, not good for your overall development. So I think you have a really good perspective on this because essentially you're saying, let me work on my short distances. I'll develop into a better runner. And then my marathon time won't stand a chance because I'm a better runner. And, you know, by definition, I'll be able to run a faster finish time. So I think that's, that's really fantastic. And, you know, now the question sort of becomes, how do we bridge the gap between what you've been doing previously and what you need to do now to reach these goals? So, you know, first, let me say a lot of what you were doing previously is going to be the same thing that you want to do now. I mean, you still want to do a long run. You still want to do a double digit long run, you know, in that 12 to 15 mile range. If you got up to 17, 18 miles, I don't think that's going to hurt you. Uh, I think you should also be doing one or two workouts a week uh, and doing the strength training. So there's a lot of things that we should just keep the same. But of course, the devil's in the details and working out how that structure is going to evolve over time is really the key. Um, now, of course, kind of like, you know, this podcast maybe could be like 45 seconds. I could just say, well, follow a very good 5K training plan and, and there you go. That's how you run a better 5K. But this idea of bridging the gap is, is going to be really helpful because you going from a marathon plan into a 5K plan might be challenging because now you're going to be doing workouts that are just so incredibly different. So having some, some intermediary workouts that might help you bridge that gap, I think is really important. It's going to help you feel better on those more 5K specific workouts. And I think it's going to reduce your injury risk because you're not changing your training too, too substantially, uh, in too short a time period. So let's talk about some of those things. Um, I mean, uh, maybe we can start first just by saying like, okay, you're getting back into training right now after your surgery, you just ran a 10 K PR last month, or maybe about six weeks ago, roughly. Um, now that you're getting back into things, are you doing 5k specific workouts now? What do your workouts look like right now? Yeah, I've only been doing workout runs for the last three weeks. Um, I just started running four weeks ago. Um, but in the last three weeks I did, um, I've done some tempo runs and, um, I think the first workout back, I just did some 400s just to see how it felt over kind of a shorter distance. And, you know, maybe it was close to what I would consider my 5k race pay goal race pace to be, um, did some tempo running. And then this week on Tuesday, I did, you know, within my run, I did two miles of tempo work followed by eight sets of 45 second hill repeats at 5k pace. Um, so that was my first like bigger, you know, more substantial speed work. And then today I just did a shorter fart lick within my run eight times one minute on one minute off, um, kind of a thing. So 
I don't know. I think it's, it's hard since I haven't really done a structured 5k focused block of training recently, even though I know a lot of the theory and the idea behind 5k training. Um, it's hard for me, like you, like you were talking about bridging the gap between the longer endurance based, you know, race training that I've been doing to now this to know kind of what amount of tempo running versus, um, you know, 400s or 800s or mile repeats and things like that, you know, how to balance that all within kind of a 5k training plan for the level that I'm at right now. Yeah. That's certainly the million dollar question, right? (laughs) So yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. So first of all, I think a lot of your training right now is, is really fantastic. So you know, obviously you're just getting back into things after a surgery. You shouldn't be on the track running a very 5k specific workout. Your body just isn't ready for that just yet. I think we should always be just a little bit more conservative about intensity in our training than we are when it comes to volume. So volume is, is doesn't have the same injury risk as intensity. So, you know, let's be a little bit more biased against intensity and, and that'll just help us become more consistent. Um, and so you doing some tempo runs, you doing, uh, some relatively short reps at a fast pace, you know, but but kind of low volume, you know, about two miles worth. Uh, I think that's a great idea. One of my, um, more practical suggestions was going to, was going to be hill repetitions. I think hill reps are a great example of that sort of in between bridge type of workout where, you are going to be running pretty fast in a hill workout. Usually hill workouts are, are maybe like, uh, any, it depends on the, the length of the hill and repetition that you're doing, of course, but they're usually run pretty fast around either 5k pace or a little bit faster or slower. Um, but if you're, if you're running much slower than a 5k effort, you're probably just not getting some of the, some of the benefits of, of, of hill training. Whereas you, you certainly don't want to do 90 second hill repetitions at a, a maximum effort, just turn them into this crazy sprint workout where you're essentially racing each one of these 90 second segments. That's not a good idea either. Uh, so hill workouts, one to two minutes per repetition around a 5k effort are an example of a really good intermediary workout that's going to help you go from say a tempo run to a more 5k specific workout on flat terrain. You know, part of the reason too, is because number one, hill workouts build strength. So you're sort of getting this like more base phase oriented benefit from the hill workout. Uh, and it's also less injury, uh, less of an injury risk because you're running against gravity. There's just less of an impact force when you're doing that. So it's definitely something that, you know, for example, when I was in college, this was an early cross country workout. You know, we would run hills probably every week or every other week for the first month or so of training. Probably did a variety of hill workouts, probably three to five over the course of that early season. And that was really helpful from a strength perspective, uh, from like an introduction to speed work kind of a session before we got to the really specific stuff. Um, Hannah, are you running strides regularly these days? Yes. I've been doing strides, four strides twice a week, just kind of in the last mile of two of my easy runs. That was the correct answer. Congratulations. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that is another, um, bridge the gap type of training intervention where 
you're going to be running pretty fast in a stride, probably around mile race pace or even a little bit faster. But it's such it's so short that it's not actually very difficult. And so one of the things that I want everyone to think really strongly about when it comes to this topic is, can we bridge the gap from two different directions? Can we bridge the gap from a speed direction and from an endurance direction? So for example, if you were to run easy pace, and then you did some running at marathon pace, and then you did half marathon pace, and then you did tempo or lactate threshold, that's a progression that is coming from an endurance the endurance side of things, right? And you're gradually getting faster and faster to what is your goal pace, which is your 5K pace. Now let's come at it from the opposite side. Let's start running strides. You might be running faster than mile race pace. The next thing that we can do is, you know, some maybe some of these hill workouts where we're running 5K pace or maybe even faster than 5K pace, but it's uphill and maybe we're only doing 45 second, one minute, up to 90 second repetitions. And so you're, you're sort of getting a little bit slower over time, but you're moving in the direction towards your goal pace. Uh, one of my other favorite things to do, and, and I would have to go back and look at some of your training plans, but I'm pretty sure I did this when you're training for a half marathon is, is to do a lot of short, but fast repetitions on flat terrain Jack Daniels might call this a repetition workout or an R workout, you know, something like four times 200 meters at your mile race pace, where you're running very fast, you are really focusing on your pace and a good rhythm, you know, you're probably going to run this kind of a training session on the track. And this is a fantastic session because it's another example of practicing running fast without it being overly taxing. So just like, you know, a series of strides has you run very fast, but you get full recovery and they're very short. These are very similar. They're a little bit longer. They're probably a little bit slower, but you know, they're, they're longer and and you have to really, uh, focus on your pace a little bit because I would, I would want specific splits for those 200 meter repetitions. So we're sort of coming at your goal 5k pace from these two directions and, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, that's how we bridge the gap. We, we get a little bit faster in our endurance workouts, and then we actually get a little bit slower in some of those short, fast workouts that we're doing. And eventually those two roads meet in the middle at a very specific 5k workout. Does, does, does that make sense? Or am I not explaining this very well? No, I, I really like that idea of of meeting in the middle, kind of at that, you know, 5k race pace, I guess a question that I have is as you're describing this, you know, from the endurance side of things, you know, marathon pace, and then whittling down versus stride pace and kind of coming up toward 5k race pace. You're, you're explaining this in terms of like in a training block, like I'm going to be doing all of these different things, not within one run workout. Is that right? Yes, correct. Absolutely. You're going to be doing this over the course of like two months or three months. And then you'll have maybe a four to eight week block where you're doing workouts that are more specific and and gradually becoming very, very specific to the 5k itself. And so I, I actually just recently got an interesting question about, you know, 
I heard that training should look more like the race that I'm training for. Like, what does that actually mean? And it's not that your training should look like the race that you're training for. It's that your your main workouts, your primary workouts during the week should start to look more like your goal race the closer you get to that race. So yeah, the marathoner, you know, in a perfect world, I might say a 22 mile long run with 10 miles or even upwards to 15 miles at goal marathon pace. That's probably one of the most difficult, but also race specific workouts you can do for the marathon. Now for the 5k, that specific workout is going to look very, very different, right? It's probably going to be something like six times a 800 meters at your goal 5k pace with a very short recovery, maybe only just a minute or three times a mile at goal 5k pace. Those would be the workouts that you gradually build to over time. But yes, you're, you're hundred percent right that these workouts, you know, you're going to be doing one or two a week. So you don't necessarily have to be doing both every single week. Uh, but over time they will evolve so that they are coming closer to that goal 5k workout. Great. That makes sense. Uh, one of the things that I really loved about working with you, Hannah, was that you were just a regular weightlifter. You are lifting heavy weights, you're in the gym, and I know we were training for half marathons and marathons. I think that work is indispensable. I do think it's even more important when you're training for the short distances, because those middle distance races like the 5K are just much more strength and power oriented and you you get those physical benefits from lifting weights. So I did just want to say, let's keep lifting heavy weight. And now is the time where you could actually be a little bit more aggressive with your weightlifting. Now is the time where maybe you do uh, start to go for some of those heavier lifts. We might be more conservative in a marathon block. Now we can be a little bit more aggressive in a 5K block. Uh, it's also a, probably a good time to maybe introduce some some power-oriented movements into your strength training. You know, anything where you're moving the barbell very quickly, uh, very fast, that's a power-oriented movement. And plyometrics are also a really good thing to start adding into your training so that not only are you strong, but you're able to express that strength in a running-specific way. That's, yeah, I was going to ask you about the strength side of things. Actually, I've been doing your high performance lifting program um, just recently. So I've just kind of finished this week, the first phase. So the first four week block of that program. Um, so I'll be moving into the, or have been planning to move into the second phase next week. And I guess my question is, is there anything within the high performance lifting program that you would recommend tweaking or adding or anything like that for, you know, within a 5k specific training block? I think the only thing that I would tweak is like the weight. It's, it's just being a little bit more aggressive with the actual weight that you're putting on the bar. Um, I, I, I tend to be much more conservative with marathoners because at the end of the day, look, the movement is much more important than the amount of weight that you're lifting. I would rather you be kind of going through the motions and not lifting heavy at all than doing nothing. That's way more beneficial for you because a lot of what we're talking about with weightlifting is actually just movement practice. We want to become better athletes. Part of that is getting stronger, of course, but part of that is also just becoming more generally athletic and coordinated. And you get that through practicing these movements. Um, you know, maybe you could look into adding a little bit more plyometrics, uh, just because, 
you know, it's it's a program that that can be applied to the 5K on up to even ultra distances. Um, and, and you don't want to overload the marathoner or the ultra runner with a ton of plyometrics just because their volume is going to be really high. And, and I think the injury risk with that, you know, is, is just something that makes me nervous. Whereas if you're training for a 5k, I, I would say, you know, maybe, maybe we can add one or two additional types of plyometrics into the, the specialized physical preparation that comes at the end of the workout. But besides that, you know, maybe, maybe you just try to add on a little bit of extra weight than you did last cycle, because after all, I mean, that is continuing the progression that's continuing you getting a little bit stronger from season to season. And that's going to be really helpful when you're trying to, you know, negative split the 5k and run the last half mile as fast as you can. Great. Yeah, that sounds good. I really, I feel like I fell in love with weight training kind of the same year that I started running. Um, and since I work at a gym as a personal trainer as well, I think that's, you know, that's really initially what brought me to your website and your podcast <laughs> was like, oh, here's this strength coach that, you know, shares my view on strength training for runners. So yeah, I'll definitely keep with that. And that was good, good input on, on kind of tweaking some things for 5k training. I think another big key to any runner's success in these middle distance races is like how you structure your season. So let's talk a little bit about maybe some potential races that you're thinking, the timing of those races, uh, and just, you know, how we might go about setting up your upcoming 5k season. Yeah. I've been curious about your input on this because obviously with a 5k, I am capable of running, you know, more back-to-back type 5ks than I would be with some of the longer distance races. Um, I have looked into some locally. It is even though there are a lot of races here in Colorado, um, I do run into a lot of issue where, especially as we get into the cooler months, like we are now, it seems like a much higher percentage of the races are trail races. And I've been really focused on road racing. I'm not opposed to trail racing, but I just know that that's not a great, you know, formula for like updating my road 5k PR on a trail. (laughs) Um, so I'd be curious to know that if like, do you feel like there's a place for trail racing in this or should I continue to kind of just stick to road racing? The one 5k that I'm eyeing that's local, that would be really easy for me to get to is a couple months out. It's like the second weekend in December. So that's kind of been one that I've been eyeing, but I'm sure I should probably put some others on my schedule as well and not have it all hanging on one 5k. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You definitely don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. That's what we do with the marathon, but we don't have to do that with the 5k. Um, so with trail races, here's the thing. Trail races are slower than road races and road races are typically slower than track races. So if you want to run the fastest time possible, it's ideal to find a track race. It's just the, the best venue possible for running the fastest possible time. And then of course, okay, you can't run a track race. So what's the next best option? A road race. Okay. Well, uh, a road race is going to be faster if it's not very hilly and it's at sea level and it doesn't have a lot of 90 degree and 180 degree turns. So there's just a lot of things to think about. And, you know, with us living in Colorado, you're, you're closer to Colorado Springs, which is that actually higher than Denver? I I think the altitude down there is a little bit, a little bit up, right? I think so. We're at about 6,500 feet. 
oh goodness, yeah, you're more than a thousand feet higher than me right now. So, uh, yeah, if you want to run a fast 5k, like you should, uh, you should run a, a race at sea level. <laughs> yes. Um, so I wouldn't really recommend a trail race if your goal is running a specific time, because you're right. They're just going to be slower. You're going to be navigating a lot of uneven terrain and rocks and routes and, you know, just things that slow you down. It's sort of like, you know, I, I once ran a race on the beach. It was a miserably slow time because, you know, you're not running fast on sand. It's just not the the surface that's going to yield a fast time. So with that said, trail races are so fun. And we live in Colorado where the trails are just stunningly beautiful. So if you find a fun 5K trail race, like, first of all, let me know. I might be interested in running it. Second of all, uh, do it for fun. I mean you're not going to get the time that's indicative of your fitness level, Hannah, but you'll have fun. You will also just practice racing. You will practice the, 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 the mental side of racing that, that you said earlier you struggle with. So part of this is just, it's like exposure therapy. Let's just get a lot of exposure, uh, to this anxiety. And over time, it just becomes less of, of a big deal in your brain. I always remember the first cross country race of the season everyone on the team was a nervous wreck. We were, a, we were a bunch of basket cases, but by the end of the season, we were seasoned. We were just on point. We were dialed in. We knew what, what the race was going to be like and what we could do in those kinds of races. And, and that only comes with experience. So you definitely just want to be racing, you know, for, for maybe an eight week period, I would say racing, about every other week is probably a good idea. Like you could race four to five times in an eight week period. And that's a great little sort of season that you have at the tail end of a training block. Great. Yeah, that sounds good. How, how much time do you think I should spend in more of the, you know, bridging the gap style, you know, base training before kind of that 5k specific training? Like, do you feel like a, a 5k race you know, some 5k races, let's say in December, is that kind of too soon? Do you think, or I don't think it's too soon. I mean, so we're recording this on October 5th and, you know, so we're talking about a race that might be about two months from now. Uh, you, you've gotten into things four weeks ago. So you're talking about three months until your first race from this time you started training. I think that's very reasonable and appropriate. You've started doing some workouts. I think that's great. I would do maybe like one more month of, of these kinds of bridge-oriented workouts, hill workouts. You know, of course, you want to keep some tempo running in there. You know, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Um, you know, do continue to do strides and some of those short repetitions. Um, but you can start adding in, you know, workouts that are, you know, sort of like look like both. It's not quite a 5K specific workout, but it's not quite one of these like bridge workouts. So for example, a, a workout that you did was like two miles of lactate threshold running, and then a series of hill repetitions. Well, you could a month from now, you might run something like three by 800 meters at your goal, 5k pace plus four by 200 meters at mile pace. I actually really like that workout. It's not super long. It's giving you a lot of exposure to your goal pace uh, you're finishing the workout faster than you started. So it, it's going to teach you how to run fast when you're tired. I think that's going to help psychologically. 
but that's also not a super specific 5k workout. So the evolution is always sort of like one or two steps at a time. And, you know, it's never either one or the other. I'm doing a base phase workout. I'm doing, you know, maybe a little bit of an in-between workout. I'm doing a 5k specific workout. All of it can sort of blend together as long as the trajectory, the general movement of all the workouts is moving in the direction that you want it to. Great. That makes sense. And let me also say that in terms of like races and and race scheduling, if you're able to find a track meet and get in any other type of short distance, I'm talking 800 meters, 1,000 meters, a mile or a 1,500, 3K or two miles, I would so enthusiastically support and encourage that because uh, the 5K can be a little bit of a difficult event to train for as an adult because you can run a lot of 5Ks and you can run a lot of races that are longer and slower than the 5K. It's hard to run any races that are shorter and faster than the 5K because you almost need to find one of these all-comer track meets. It is more difficult, but I would look around and really try to, even if it's a road race, uh, try to find something that's really going to get you out of your comfort zone. Like, you know, I, I admit I would have no idea how to even race a half mile at this point in my running career, but it would be wild to line up on the starting line and just try to experience that. And I think it's going to be helpful ultimately for your 5k goal. That is so outside of my comfort zone, especially having never done any track or cross country, you know, growing up or in school or anything. But yeah, I think that's a good, a good point that, you know, if I'm trying to come at it from an endurance side, then trying to also come at it from like a, you know, faster, shorter racing side would be really helpful. So I need to look into that. I don't even know how to find track races, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. I mean, if you think the 5k is intense, wait till you run a 800 meter race. It, it's, it's compressing a marathon into like a couple minutes of, of yeah. suffering. It's just in, so incredibly intense. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Hannah. Well, I feel like we have somewhat of a plan moving you into the fall. Um, do you have any other questions for me or, or anything that you wanted to dive into in more detail that we talked about? Just one question, you know, as I am looking at kind of incorporating a couple of workouts a week, especially as I get closer to a 5k race, um, you know, as I've trained for half marathons and marathons in the past, often I've included my second workout of the week within my long run. And usually that has worked out fine. And it's, you know, I've usually been doing some, a workout a week that's a little bit longer where it fits nicely within a long run. Do you think with the intensity and the shorter distance of the, you know, 5k workouts, should I keep my workouts to days that are separate from my long run? Or is there any value in incorporating some 5k, you know, workout style training within that longer distance run? That's a really good question. So Here's what I would say. I would say doing a long run workout earlier in your 5k season is probably more appropriate than doing it later in your 5k season. Because, you know, usually long run workouts are not super intense. Usually you're not running like a 5k paced effort within a long run. You're doing something like marathon or half marathon pace, or, or maybe even like a fart lick at a lactate threshold or tempo effort, something along those lines. Um, so 
those kinds of workouts are great in the base phase, you know, because they're they're sort of these aerobic high-end workouts that are just fantastic at building some of this high-end aerobic fitness, but they're not super specific to the demands of the 5K. You know, great for your development overall, but let's put those early in the cycle. And then as your training sort of evolves, as you get into like maybe, you know, mid-October, late October, or, or even as late as early November, maybe at that point, it's a good idea to then transition that second workout to one during the week. It's, it's not a, a long run workout, you know, but it's probably something where you're going to be running either faster than 5k pace or 5k pace. And that kind of stuff is better when you're fresh, because I want you to be able to hit those paces and it really just prioritize how you feel on those workouts, as opposed to trying to do some 5k fart lick at the end of a 15 mile run and your form is going to start falling apart because you're really fatigued. That's going to spike your injury risk. Uh, and, and I just, I almost see that workout as a little bit less productive. Um, but with that said, let me, let me give an example of a workout that uh, is, is highly aggressive uh, that I used to run. It was basically like, let's go run 16 miles. Then you would run to the track and you'd run a mile at 5K pace and you'd run like a half mile easy recovery. And then you'd run another mile at 5k pace. And then you would just jog another mile or two home. So it's like a 20 mile day roughly. And uh, you're getting in really 5k specific work at the end of a very long run. That workout was brutal. It kicked my butt. Uh, I think it made me very mentally tough. But with that said, in hindsight, I think it might have took a little bit too much out of me. It was just hard for the sake of hard almost. So, you know, I could sit here and maybe see a place for those kinds of workouts for certain types of runners. I'm just a little bit more conservative about things now at this stage of my coaching career. And I think, I think we could just be a little bit more strategic. We can do things a little bit better. So even though that might work for some runners, for most of us, I think we should probably do that work when we're fresh, not risk the injury and, you know, feel good doing, doing it. Because if we do that, we're just going to be more confident in our ability because the risk of failing that workout, if it's at the end of a long run is much higher. And I want you feeling good mentally about your workouts. Yeah, absolutely. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So let's just get you to find some, some thousand meter races or a 1500 and and you'll be, you'll be off. (laughs) I'm excited for you, Hannah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I just, I love your work and I love your coaching. So it was such a treat to get your input on my current goals. Well, maybe we can record like a quick five to 10 minute update that I can tack on to the end of a future podcast uh, after this current season so that we can just let listeners know like how it all went. You know, you, you mentioned your five KPRs 1947, but Let's see if we can get that as low as possible. And um, yeah, I'd love to maybe touch base in December and, and hear about your amazing string of PRs that you were able to do. Sounds good. I'll have some accountability now. <laughs> ah, yes, I love it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Hannah. I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the pod to talk about your running and, and good luck with everything. You know, I know I've said this to you before, but it was an absolute pleasure coaching you. Um, your passion for the sport and your willingness to work hard is just something to behold. And uh, you have the results to, to prove that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your your advice and your expertise and 
personalized help with it. So thank you. All right. Take care, Hannah. You too. Bye. And that's our show. Thank you for listening. And if you'd like to pay it forward, please rate and review the show, share it with your running friends or club, or you can browse all of our training programs on strengthrunning.com. You can also support the show by supporting our sponsors by using their links and discount codes that I'll mention in just a minute. You help the Strength Running Podcast sustain itself so I can keep publishing episodes. First, get yourself 15% off your first purchase at Prevenex.com with code Jason15. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast this year, you've heard me talk about Joint Health Plus from Prevenex and how it's directly impacted the health of so many runners. Their CEO keeps forwarding me testimonials, and I'm so glad to see that their products just work. So definitely keep those coming. Let me share the latest feedback that their CEO, David, just sent me. Simon recently wrote in about Joint Health Plus, and he said, great product, excellent results. I've used the Joint Health Plus and the multivitamin products for over 30 days, and I'm very impressed and delighted with the results. I've taken other multivitamins consistently for years. Prevenex is the first where I have noticed a difference in the way I feel. My sleep quality has improved, and my energy level is great. Using the joint supplement, I recover quickly from workouts and runs. I'm currently in a marathon training block, and my joints are pain-free. So glad I gave Prevenex a try. Now, Joint Health Plus is so powerful because the main active ingredient is clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. It's also clinically proven, not just tested, but actually proven in double-blinded placebo-controlled studies to protect joint cartilage from breaking down during exercise. You can get 15% off your first Prevenex purchase by using code JASON15 at checkout. Visit Prevenex.com, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and I'll note one last thing. Prevenex offers a 30-day money-back guarantee where if you don't feel the benefits on their products, you get your money back, no questions asked. And by the way, keep sending in those testimonials. They really fire me up. Next, get yourself a whopping 30% discount and free shipping at twobefore.com on their all-natural, scientifically proven pre-workout with code JASON. Two before, which is the numeral two followed by the word before, is made from New Zealand black currant berries, which improves vasodilation or blood flow, just like beetroot. But they also improve recovery after exercise by managing oxidative stress through their unique ratio of antioxidants, which also have a nice side benefit of supporting your immune system. The main antioxidant is called anthocyanin, which I hadn't heard of, but is more present in New Zealand blackcurrant berries than tart cherries, raspberries, blackberries, or blueberries. Plus, two before tastes delicious. I love products that are both good for your performance and good for your overall health. Get yourself 30% off and free shipping with code JASON at twobefore.com. That's the numeral two, followed by before.com with code JASON for 30% off your order and free shipping. Finally, we're also supported by Impossible Sleep, a performance sleep drink to help high performers get the most out of their nightly rest. Impossible Sleep is melatonin-free, and it provides deep recovery while gently lulling you to sleep. 
Learn more about it at impossible.co slash Jason. And be sure to use code Jason20 to save 20% on your first subscription order. Plus, you'll get a free sleep kit as a welcome gift. Now, I love this product because it works and it's very simple. It only has two ingredients with magnesium to promote muscle recovery and deep sleep and L-theanine for a subtle calming effect that helps you wind down at the end of the day. Now, if you're like me, you don't really have any problems pushing your limits with work, parenting, training, and everything else you got going on in life, but you may struggle to fall asleep at the end of the day. That's the problem that I have. Sometimes I just kind of lay there in bed wide awake thinking about my to-do list, my training goals, or just stressing out about normal life anxieties. But high-achieving runners have to prioritize their sleep. Sleep is like a performance-enhancing drug. It allows us to absorb our training, improve, and ultimately race faster. Impossible Sleep helps you optimize your bedtime routine so you can get as much deep recovery as possible. And when you consider that studies have shown that sleep loss can lead to glucose imbalances, increased anxiety, and your risk of getting sick, it's a no-brainer to get as much high-quality sleep as you can. Now, you can get 20% off your first subscription order and a free sleep kit at impossible.co slash Jason with code Jason20. That's 20% off your first subscription order at impossible.co slash Jason And don't forget to use code Jason20 for that free sleep kit. All right, that's our show today, my friends. If you are getting value from this podcast, the best way to support us is to take advantage of those partner discounts I just mentioned. You also can rate and review the podcast or invest in a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com. It is my pleasure to help you improve as a runner. Thank you for being here and we'll be in touch.